Hey, it's Jonah Bud. I've been working with young people and adults for more than 40 years, helping them to live their best life. Now on this podcast, I do it for you too. That's why we call it At Your Best, so I can help you become your best self each week. Let's explore stories from all across Canada and celebrate how strong we really are, even when we feel at our weakest. Do you know the unspoken rules of holiday parties? Well, even if you do, I'll walk you through the do's and don'ts to help you keep your job and reputation safe. And did you hear how you can buy beer in Ontario will be drastically changing? but it may not be in everyone's best interest. We also talk about a judge who might have breached the rights of defendants and why he says it was done out of compassion. And how would you feel if you bought milk but it was actually cream? Well, why should we allow cannabis growers to get away with that while other industries have to properly advertise what they sell? And finally, one child's dream to help others grew from a shed into a massive project. But why did he do it? Well, we discuss it all. So sit back, relax, and get ready to listen to ways... We can help make you be at your best. We're going to talk about holiday parties. Do you remember holiday parties? Yeah, you remember? Okay, listen to this scene from an office party, uh, a comedy movie called Office Party. Have a listen. Um, Babies are not getting made tonight, not here on company property. If you're going to have intercourse, please go beyond the flood lamps at the perimeter of the plaza and into the Rite Aid parking lot. Guess what? Because we... Joe, language. This is still an office, and even though it's dark outside, the rules don't turn off. The rules may not turn off, but your inhibitions can. Well, there you go. That's a a little bit of a a lead-in for where we are right here. Office parties, right? You know, you ever been to one of them? Ever had one? Not just an office party. How about just a gathering in the neighborhood, some friends and family? Maybe you go to somebody else's office party as their plus one. You know, your family member or your buddy or somebody says, hey, you want to come to my office party? I don't want to go alone. So we want to talk to you about office parties, 877-399-9898, as it relates to holiday season office parties. And I want to hear stories about what you saw or even better, maybe what happened. Maybe it did something. I don't know. I, I, I've i never been much, because of my anxiety issues, I've never been much at letting go at office parties, but lots of people do it, right? Everybody's ready. You got secret Santas and all kinds of festivities, but both in personal life and office life. But the difference is if you go to Auntie Jane's house and you make a mess at the Christmas party and you do things wrong, you get too hammered and you say the wrong thing, or you, you know, you say something mean or touch somebody's guest inappropriately, kind of you can get by that sort of in a in a household environment amongst your family and friends. But when you go to work and do that, Guess what, my friends? You lose your job. So really, we've got to talk about the do's and don'ts around holiday parties and the kinds of things that we should be doing and and making sure that we're remembering one thing when you go to an office party, the name and the word office in the title. Office party. Not, Not your buddy Billy's, not Tom's place down the street, but an office party. Where you got to make sure you got yourself together because if you don't, it's going to come back to haunt you. I have a patient. I have two stories to tell you real quick, and then I want to hear from you. I want to hear from you anyway while I'm telling the story. Come on. It's so much more fun when we talk to each other. Give us a call. 877-399-9898. Not currently talking to anybody, but line up because the queue gets long pretty soon, and we do want to share. But I had a patient, uh, two stories. I had a patient who told me a story about uh, going to um, 
being at work in recovery. He was in recovery at that point for about 11 or 12, close to 12 months, close to a year. And uh, boss invited him, uh, everybody to the, to uh, his uh, golf club, the boss's golf club for a company Christmas party. And um, my guy, my patient decided to decline. So he went and mentioned to his bosses, I'm unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to make it. And then he did what? Right? He did what? I want to hear what you have to say. Text me, call me. Come on. 877-399-9898. What he did was he explained to his boss that he's in recovery and really can't be in an environment that serves alcohol. Now, Right thing to do, wrong thing to do. I wish this was like a test where we could like test you live in real time here. Right thing to do, wrong thing to do. Well, one would say, as a therapist, I would say that, you know, it's always best to be honest about what's going on in your life. However, you have to choose the time and the place to be transparent and share. Share things that might be a little risky to share, right? Share things that, you know, might come back to haunt you in some way, shape, or form. You know what I mean? Ever said something to your boss? Or ever shared with somebody at HR, you know what, I'm having issues with this, I'm having issues with that. And you feel, you know, you feel like it's the right thing to do, but it comes back at you in a way that's not so great. Yeah, I want to hear from you. I want to hear what you think. So imagine you're going to this office. I have another patient, by the way, who went to an office party and um, had to leave the office party because there were all kinds of issues around... um, something that happened with one of their colleagues. And the story goes like this. My guy was at the, my, my guy was at the, at the Christmas party. Um, he wasn't uh, drinking, wasn't, it wasn't really a, a big issue for him. And by the way, we'll get to that in a second in terms of how it affects people who don't really want to be there, right? For all kinds of reasons. Anyway, uh, one of the staffers, one of the senior managers actually got absolutely hammered. Now here's what happens, right? Let's back up a little bit. Here's what happens. We go to a holiday party, right? Christmas party with friends and family and, or is one thing, right? You go to the, the company Christmas party and, you know, you're gathering with people and most people are kind of letting their hair down, so to speak, you know, kind of letting go, relaxing. And we tend not to, you know, and a lot of companies, I'll get to that in a bit too, a lot of companies uh, provide an open bar, which I think is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. And I'm not the only one. There's a lots of lots of addiction uh, experts and people that deal with uh, impaired driving issues and so on that think think the same thing. Anyway, we tend not to eat much, right? Because they don't really bring the food out until you've had a bunch of booze in your system to loosen you up. So you get to the party at seven. They're not bringing food out till eight. Well, between seven and eight, you can make a lot of a lot of mess if you you know don't know what to do. You're not controlling yourself well. We're talking about holiday parties, good ones, bad ones. Remember something that happened? Let me know, 877-399-9898. And uh, want to hear what you tell. I want to hear one good office party story. Leo says he thinks everyone's going to call in on this one because, you know, it's a good topic. It's coming up. If you haven't already been to one, you got one coming. And what do you do? What do you say? And if you're in recovery, meaning you really don't want to be around people that are drinking a lot and getting high and, you know, getting a little hammered and, you know, just not really being maybe at their best because when people get loosey goosey, sometimes they make blunders, mistakes and bad judgment calls. It just happens. It's just the way it is. It's, you know, it's fueled by, you know, the, the, what do they say that you, you know, you lose your inhibitions when, when having alcohol or drugs in your system. Well, losing your inhibitions might be the answer. 
but the reality is when you lose your inhibitions, you lose your filters and control too. And that's a real, that's really the, the biggest part of it, right? Do you imagine someone who made a fool of themselves at a holiday party and all the guilt and the shame and the fear of embarrassment that they feel the next day? I mean, I, I, you remember doing it just when you're out with a bunch of, one bunch of your friends and you go, oh God, did I drink too much last night? What did I say? Did I, did I, did I do something wrong? Did I embarrass myself? Did I, did I, did I conduct myself in a way that I, I need? So when you have to second guess it and you're concerned about the impact you might've had from the night before, it's probably a time to really pay attention to your behavior in such environments, right? And making sure that when you go to these types of places, whether it's a holiday party or your neighbor's, your neighbor's uh, Christmas bash or holiday bash, if you're out in public, frankly, or even at home for that matter, to be perfectly honest, it's not really a time to get hammered and make a fool of yourself or hurt somebody's feelings or hurt, fall and hurt yourself or get really, really sick. People do it though. Season in and season out, year in and year out. I don't know. I don't really understand it. I, I have way too many inhibitions and, and anxiety issues to let myself go like that, but who knows? As promised, some do's and don'ts for the Christmas party, because that's what we're talking about. Holiday parties, Christmas parties, neighbor parties, that kind of stuff. Some of the rules change, of course, when you're with family, because somehow we feel it's okay to make a mess when we're with family a little more so than and get a little more freedom, perhaps, than when we're strangers. I, I, I'm not sure that that's the case. I think we should be nice and, and do the right thing no matter where we are, right? So here's some do's for the holiday party. Don't show up on, do, excuse me, do show up on time. It's an extension of the office, so be there on time. Dress appropriately, appropriately because it's dressy or casual, business dress or business casual, depending on what they, they ask for. Don't uh, show up with a little, uh, they say, no stilettos, no cleavage, no perfume. <laughs> um, unless it's a hula-themed party, no Hawaiian shirts or flip-flops. Remember, work party means work. Do thank the host right away. Remember, it might not be your boss. It might be the CEO or the owner. It might be a great opportunity for some FaceTime. And uh, thank those who planned it, right? Want to do that. That's the right thing to do. Do mingle and introduce yourself to people that are there, upper management and other people in different divisions. Do turn off your smartphone. I prefer just to put it on vibrate. You, know, you may need it somewhere down the along the evening to protect you in some way, shape, or form. Uh, do keep your right hand free and dry so you can shake hands easily. That's an important one. Uh, I used to be a big one on wiping my hands on my leg back when I was a you know an early in my early twenties when my hands still sweat. Uh, they don't so much anymore, thankfully. Do bring your spouse or significant other if they're invited and you feel that it will help you look good. These are the do's and don'ts uh, from uh, do's and don'ts from some ha uh, some craft, uh, not craft, I'm sorry, some office uh, 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 career strong group. Is, I'm sorry, career stone group is what it's called. Anyway, they're the ones who recommend these things. Do bring your spouse if they think it's going to make you look good, but make sure they're going to be seen as an extension of you. So make sure they're coached. Well, I don't know. If you got to bring somebody with you that you have to coach, you probably don't need to bring them with you. Here's what you don't do. Right? Don't gossip. Make sure you network. You get around to see people. No gossip, no gossip, no gossip. Right? Don't get drunk. Getting drunk at a holiday party is something you're never going to forget, and it's not good for you. Never corner your boss to discuss a bonus or your salary. Don't look at the event as a singles party or a chance to flirt with the cute guy or the cute girl or the cute person in production. 
Remember, someone's going to be watching, right? Don't just camp out with your coworkers, your team. Meet new people and get out there and, and network, so to speak. Don't dance. Just don't. It says, just don't dance. I'm not sure I understand why that is. Don't wear silly holiday attire, no Santa hats, elf suits, jingle bells, or et cetera. Don't bring your spouse or partner if they don't want to come. And don't bring your own mistletoe, thinking it's an excuse to kiss everybody that you see. By the way, I just made that one up. Gift giving, it goes on to say, you know, give gifts that you can afford. Respect the holiday uh, religious expressions and displays in your in your work environment. Um, make sure you're not on your phone shopping or doing a ton of shopping at work at your lunch hour and bringing it all back to work so everybody can see all the things you bought. Just keep that to yourself. So remember, save the Santa sweaters for home. Don't buy your boss a gift. Don't get drunk. Don't get drunk. Don't get drunk or high. Same difference, right? Uh, don't let yourself so loose that you have to worry about what you did the next day. And only bring your spouse if they want to. They really want to come and they're in the mood. Otherwise, you're going to have that on your on your on your uh, conscience to deal with. And and that's hard to handle, right? When you got people with you that don't want to be there and you're trying to get in a in a good frame of mind. Well, as I also said going into break, now on your way, not now, but by 2026 in Ontario, where you can only buy beer at the beer store. LCBO and the beer store, right? And the Liquor Control Board of Ontario, that's what the LCBO is. And it's going to be around the same time as the election here in Ontario. But what's what's happening is the agreement will allow for 450 grocery stores across the province to, uh, in the province of Ontario, uh, to uh, along to beer stores retaining exclusive rights to sell 12 and 24 packs. Ontario said the deal and t terms will now end in 2025. So under under the plan under uh, uh, Ford Doug Ford uh, Premier Ford's plan, uh, eligible retail outlets across the province, including an estimated 6,700 convenience stores and another 1,800 grocery stores. Do we really need? 7,000, 8,000, almost 9, I'm doing the math in my head, almost 9,000 new places to buy booze. And then the new and new structure, according to this thing, they're going to be able to set their own prices. They are, right? And they don't, you know, the retail outlets will have to, uh, right now the retail outlets have to adhere to a pricing board sent by the Liquor Control Board of Ontario. Anyway, according to the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, they think this deal is not good. 6,500 beer store workers will probably have issues around uh, retaining their jobs, although apparently they're supposed to stay in business for a while. Uh, the Auditor General, Ontario's Auditor General, uh, is concerned that not uh, they, that the government, Ontario government, once again, hasn't consulted the uh, public health people to talk about the implications of an expansion of alcohol sales in recent years. Now, here's the deal, guys. Have a listen. Do you really think that your local convenience store operator is doing a great job of checking people's ID to sell them cigarettes and vaping devices? Because I see a lot of 15, 16, 17-year-old kids walking around the school grounds and out in front of the high schools, middle schools, close to a convenience store because that's where they're situated, right? So they can get their, their candy and treats. See a lot of these kids smoking, vaping for sure, smoking as well, smoking weed, you know, smoking joints. I guess I assume it's weed that's in there. Who knows? 
So if we're not doing a really good job of making sure that we don't sell cigarettes, vaping devices, and cannabis to, to people underage, what makes us think we're going to do a good job of it when it comes to making sure that they're not drinking? Imagine if you're standing in line at a gas station, you just pumped your gas, right? And there's a long lineup of people ahead of you wanting to buy beers. And there's only one person behind the counter. So now you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting, right? And maybe there's only one person. Is this not like really safe? Does that make sense to you? Does it make sense that we're going to put the, the control of making sure that young people aren't drinking underage in the hands of someone who's maybe, probably, likely not trained to even know what to do if someone doesn't handle themselves or conduct themselves properly or is clearly not of their right mind at the time and probably shouldn't be consuming alcohol. At least when you go in the LCBO, if you walk in there hammered or smashed, you know, or, or in some way, you know, not in good, in, in good control, under, under your own control, they won't sell you stuff. They just don't. Most of them won't anyway. Not sure I can guarantee that my local convenience store operator is going to do that. And not, not that he's a bad guy, but I'm not sure that's his job. I'm sure that's the job he wants. And I'll tell you what, when the place is full of teenagers at lunchtime and he's just trying to get as many candy bars and snacks and drinks and stuff that he can get through during the hour that the kids are on break or 45 minutes that the kids are on break and, and trying to at the same time also make sure these young people don't rob him blind because that's the time of the day when people do their most stealing, right? Is when they're in groups like that <clears throat> where there can be hidden, excuse me, hidden by the crowd. Anyway, so it's a thing to think about for sure, right? Is it something you want to do? I don't know. I don't think we're going to have much choice because no one's giving us a chance to really vote. How do you feel about cell phones in schools? 877-399-9898. Do you think there's a place for it? Does it make sense? Do you think it makes the kids a little safer? It helps them be a little more, you know, a little more uh, connected? Is there any reason why they really need a cell phone in school? And how can you enforce taking them away? How would you want to be that teacher? What do you have to do? Have them all put it in a basket on their way? Okay, put your cell phone in here like you're going to a, a CIA meeting or you're being interrogated somewhere, or you're part of a drug cartel and you're not allowed to come in and have your conversation of what you're dealing next because you got to put your phones away. Everyone else has to put their phone away except for kids. You know, if you walked into a meeting in the office and you weren't using your phone for the purposes of getting information for the, to, to use to support that meeting, that conversation, and you were just, you know, looking around, talking to your buddy, chances are you wouldn't keep your job for very long. So is it the right thing to do? Is it actually necessary? Or is it going to be a huge waste of time and resources for the educational system and those that enforce it and operate within it to start now making sure kids not only don't have weapons, don't have drugs, but now don't have cell phones at their desk while they're working? Imagine you're a teacher trying to educate these kids, right? And all the time you look around, like the last time I tell you, I'll tell you a true story. Okay. So I always tell you true stories. I shouldn't say that. Tell you a story. So a couple of weeks ago, my wife and I sneaked off for an afternoon. It was during the week. I had some cancellations. She had the opportunity to take some time. And the building that she works in, there's a food court downstairs. 
And there's a couple of uh, kosher food operators there that uh, we both uh, like. I mean, reasonably enough to eat there while you're at the mall. So we went to one of the places, had some pizza and salad, a little bit of pasta that we shared. And it's glassed in. The, the actual restaurant part is kind of glassed in. So you can see the rest of the food court. It's lunchtime now. It's like 1224, 1225. Uh, kids, there's a bunch of schools, three or four high schools and private schools in the area. All these kids are, uh, you know, they, they all, uh, uh, you know, swarm the, the mall for various reasons. Uh, food court being probably 90% of the reason. And um, they come inside and you know, I, look, I looked up at the food court area and there's, no kidding, 30, maybe 20, 30 kids, uh, boys, girls, everything in between, young, old, and every color combination that you can think of, every configuration, you know, big, small. Imagine a whole assembly of teenagers. And I'm telling you, man, other than to get up to eat, they were glued to their phones, sitting across from one another glued to their phones. The only time they lifted up their phones was to play with their hair and take a selfie. That's a thing, apparently. Checking your hair so you can, you know, have a, have a good-looking selfie. And I'm, like, looking at these kids going, like, what the heck? Like, just, there's no engagement. There's no conversation. Okay, I get it, right? I get it. Now in the classroom, we have to deal with it. And the problem is that it's becoming a real distraction. You know, the teachers think it would be a welcome policy, but they're uncomfortable with how they're going to um, enforce it because unauthorized use of smartphones is going to be one of the biggest challenges going forward It's in terms of dealing with distractions, right? And now the flip side of this is for two years or so, I'm not sure, yeah, probably that long, I'm, or, or certainly close to two years, maybe a little longer, um, we had kids being educated using electronics. So I don't understand how that that's the case, right? I don't understand how that makes any sense that, you know, we're going to find ourselves here uh, in a situation where um, we're going to have to start taking phones away or make it or mandate it, right? Now, what happens if a kid is in trouble? How do they access their phone? Some kids need it as a security blanket for their insecurities and, and anxiety issues. Well, they, that obviously we need to help them understand better ways. So now you're going to have certain kids that are going to have exemptions for built-in learning, medical purposes, special educational needs, and so on. So some kids can use their phones for good, and some kids can't use their phones because they don't know how to use them for the proper reason because there's no real reason, right? There's no real reason to have to do that because right now they can keep their phones with them. So here's my recommendation. I don't know what you think. 877-399-9898. I'm not sure what you think about it. But um, the, the, the problem is that, you know, if we try to take them away, you're going to have one or two kids that are going to sneak them. It's going to be a whole big, you know, kerfuffle in the classroom. The teacher's going to have to somehow get their hands on the property. Teachers aren't supposed to take away kids' properties unless it's, they're, you know, things like drugs and so on. Uh, and even then they need the, the support of someone else, you know, making sure that someone else watches what they're doing while they're doing it, right? Uh, but the, 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 the real problem at hand here is that we're not educating kids in a way that they need to be educated, in a way that they need to be educated, in a way that they need to be delivered to. The, ma the material needs to be given to them in a format that works for them. So maybe rather than fighting the cell phone issue, why don't we include the cell phone issue, right? Include the cell phone 
as part of the educational process. Okay, everybody, uh, everybody, um, scan the, uh, the 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 barcode on your desk, and you'll see the the next three questions for our spelling assignment. So getting them using their phones as part of their education may, in fact, be a really good a really good scenario. I had um, I have a really interesting. My friend Catherine from Surrey, she's sending me some incredible uh, texts this evening. But she says just put an internet blocker in the classrooms. <laughs> you know, she's a smart girl. Thanks, Catherine. Absolutely. Yeah, maybe we just put internet blockers in the classrooms. So the kids can still make phone calls or send text messages. Well, guess what? They're IMing all day long or text messaging all day long, right? WhatsApping, whatever. So I, I, I'm not technically advanced. So I'm hoping that you know removing the internet connection will get rid of some of that. But if they really want, you know, young people, anybody, all of us, if you know, if we really want to get our way or have a workaround, as they say, there's always some kind of workaround, right? So the question is, you think this is something that we can actually police? Something that we can actually enforce? Or is this going to be the next big deal for why 15 kids every class are going to be sent to the principal's office? I, I, I don't know. I, I, I have mixed feelings about it. I, I think, frankly, that it would, in my opinion, I, I, when I speak in a group or I address an audience or I'm doing therapy with anyone one-on-one -on -one, or coaching with anybody, first thing I say to them is, here's the deal. You put your phone down and I'll put mine down. Because if you use your phone and I use my phone, we're not going to have a conversation because I got at least 15 messages I could return right now. But I'm not going to because you're more important to me. Put the phone down. We're trying to do it in my house now, too, around the dinner table. No phones at the dinner table. And for the most part, it works. Right? So maybe the deal is no phones in the classroom. Or let's include them in the education, one or the other. But to make them one more taboo thing that teachers have to now worry about, their job is difficult enough, delivering the curriculum that they have to, managing, you know, managing the, the, uh, the kids, their discipline and their own interactions and, and wellness and so on, right? Big job. I'm not sure it's something that we need to address them. And, you know, maybe it's time to teach young people, you know, uh, and, and treat them more adult-like when we talk about their addictions around things like phone and, and gambling and gaming and, and all that kind of stuff. So I think it's all tied together with this whole concept of electronic devices and where that fits in, in, our, in, in our lives and in the lives of our young people. But you know what? It's not just kids. You look at adults, right? You go to a restaurant, you look at adults, and you're like, are they really on a date? Because if they're on a date, they're not talking to each other. He's looking at her, his phone. She's looking at his phone. They're looking at their phone. Everyone's, you know, they're just not engaging. And they're like four feet away from each other. It just it really, it's one of the things that super irks me, right, in a big way. You know what else really bugs me is when you say something comes out of your mouth, you send a text message or an email and you say something you really regret and then it's too little, too late. You kind of want to say you're sorry, but the damage is kind of done. Well, you're going to have something in common with the judge that we're going to talk about in a minute who said some really unbelievable things at a trial and as a result may actually have some uh, murder uh, people that are uh, accused of murder uh, walk scot-free. Here's the deal, a little more serious story here. Uh, here's the deal. You're charged with a crime. You get a chance to come to court. You hire a lawyer. You believe, certainly in this country, that you're presumed innocent and have to be proven guilty. And you get in front of a judge, and it sounds like this. Play the clip, please. 
thousand dollars or more into the truck. I have all the pictures of. Who cares? I wouldn't push it if I were you. We, I, got, I didn't ask you a question. <laughs> That's Judge Judy. So in real life, judges can't do that. And the conversation that we're going to have right now is we're going to talk about a judge who basically told two lawyers about their two clients that were charged with murder, that they are effed. Okay? They're completely effed. You know what that means. And that he didn't believe that they were innocent. He goes on to tell, uh, he, he goes on to talk about the fact that uh, he um, he didn't believe their story and that he they should understand that uh, if this thing goes to court, you know, people don't like baby killers. They were presumed to, uh, they're allegedly killed their children, right? Killing their four-year-old son. Well, it looks like they're going to get new trials. I'll tell you why. Because the Superior Court Judge of Ontario, a judge there, didn't conduct themselves properly. He told these guys, your clients are effed, as I said. This case is a disaster. You should plead guilty to second-degree murder because the case is admittedly terrible, he says. And that uh, even though the lawyer said that this, that the, the facts of the, of the case were admittedly terrible, Addressing the judge, um, he did he did say that the judge made it made a predetermination that he didn't believe in what they had to say, and that their defense that they had limited life skills and poverty issues and alcohol addiction and so on and so forth. The first meeting wasn't recorded with the judge when he said that they were effed for first degree murder, and he urged them to take a plea. There was a subsequent meeting where he did where he was called a video taken from uh, a phone, a disaster, an effing disaster, he says, and that this case was going to be long, a lo one long, this is the judge talking to the lawyers now, one long guilty plea to, guilty plea to first-degree murder. He said he didn't believe that the accused were two innocent people in the jaws of the criminal justice system. My intervention was motivated by a sense of genuine compassion, according to the judge, for why he spoke up. He suggested that they plead uh, guilty to a lesser, somewhat lesser charge, and so on, and so on, and so on. Now, when I say so on, you can you know imagine the same conversation. He goes on to talk about uh, you know that the, the the case is weak. We I don't believe in what they say. Uh, you know, juries don't like baby killers. You know, on and on and on. This guy was definitely out of line. Now he claims he did it. Like I said, he did it for the benefit of you know being a good-hearted person and do what he could in the best interest of. Uh, of the of the client of the of the of the the um, the accused, right? And he was trying to make a compassionate plea, plea for a rep, uh, for a resolution. He told the panel that was uh, looking at his uh, behavior. So here's the question: the question is, don't you need to be held to a higher standard when holding a job like that, when holding a position like that? Don't you need to conduct yourself in a, with a higher standard? And maybe not just judges in the court system, but those of us who are in a position to, to rule some weight in a business environment or in a family sometimes, right? Imagine if you're the jury now and you heard the judge talk like that. And you can get it. You know, I, I tell clients, you know, patients all the time when they're going to court for various things like DUIs and domestic assault and Crimes usually related to mental health and addiction. They're pretty. Some of them are pretty common. Uh, breach, breach of probation, and things like that. When you're no longer allowed to see someone, 
because you both get drunk and hurt each other. But you're so in love that you can't you can't be without them. Plus, you're getting drunk still, so you're not making good. Co- and you and, and you go visit them. The time you get for the breach of the of the of the of the charge of not being able to go see somebody, the breach of that condition will get you more jail time, frankly, usually than the uh, the crime itself. Anyway, I digress. So the judge the judge is now you know giving over this information. He's sharing. You know, I tell my patients all the time, you don't know what kind of judge you're going to get when you get there, right? You just don't know. Maybe the guy had a bad night. You know, maybe he didn't eat very well or his, him and his, and his partner, his spouse, his friend, whatever, whoever is in his life, his kids. Maybe they had an argument. Maybe he's a crummy dad or crummy mom. And, you know, he just, they come to court, you know, in a mood. Haven't you ever gone to work in a mood? Of course we have. All of us have, for being honest. Well, according to the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, it guarantees any person charged with an offense has the right to be presumed innocent until proven guilty according to the law in a fair and public hearing by an independent and impartial tribunal. Independent? No problem. Impartial? Now, judges have to go above and beyond when they see someone. They don't like the way they look, the cut of their 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 jib, as they say, their hair color, their hairstyle, their tattoos, their piercings. I mean, you know, some people find other lots of reasons to find other people offensive in some way. Not that we're supposed to be judging because that's not our job. But human nature is human nature, right? So in this case, you're not allowed. And the judge can attempt to get, get the defense to settle but not while stating his own bias against the defendants. That these are facts according to the law, right? And the criminal court requires that an accused person be present as comments are raised about his reasonable, uh, as comments are raised as a reasonable apprehension of bias. In other words, if you're talking about a, about a, about a, a person who's charged, they need to be in the room. You can't talk. You can't pull their 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 lawyers aside and go. You know this guy is really guilty, and like we're gonna hang this guy for sure. And like maybe we should do this, this, or this. It's not their job. It's and then and then the, and then when the judge gets sort of caught with it, not caught, but you know disciplined for it or called up on it in appeal, because now this trial is gonna go again, right? It's gonna go again, and who knows what the the ramifications are? But they didn't get a fair trial, so they're required to have another trial. Who knows what that's gonna cost? But the judge said, you know, he just did it out of compassion. I, you know, I, I honestly saw that these guys and these two were going to go down a bad road here. And, you know, they're guilty as sin. You can see it everywhere. Like, you can't say that even if you think it. You can't presume somebody something if they're not. How many times have you had somebody come into your place of business, uh, perhaps, and, 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 and shop for something and you, and you look at them and they're dressed like they can't afford to buy anything, let alone something in your fancy store, let's say. And it turns out that they're multimillionaires. They just prefer. I have a friend of mine who's exceptionally wealthy. And when he goes and buys expensive things, he goes in his crummiest clothes. Because he enjoys the interaction when people look at him like, eh, can I show you like something a little cheaper? And he goes, no, no, no. I want the more expensive one. And they look at him and go, yeah, but, you know, that's really a cost. And, and then he pulls out a wad of cash or some, you know, you know, credit card that's got infinite use. You know, one of those uh, you know, not black cards, gold cards, whatever the new color is for the infinite amount of credit you can get on a credit card somehow in the world. Yeah, just to mess with them. But in this case, you can't mess with people. You got to give them the benefit of the doubt when they're being charged with an offense because otherwise it comes back to haunt you. And, and, and who knows? They might be guilty of sin. Who knows? And if they are, 
We want them tried the first time, hopefully convicted, and off to their sentence, off the street, so to speak. Now people feel bad for them. They weren't treated well. Now they're no longer perpetrators. Now they're like victims. They're no longer the unsub, as you call them, on criminal minds, you know, the, the unknown subject, or the, the, the somewhat guilty party. They're now the ones that have been wronged. I don't know, crazy world we live in, but you got to keep it to yourself, man, especially when you're on the, you know, in a judgment kind of role, whether you're going to give somebody a raise or, you know, you know, give them an opportunity. You just don't like the way they, uh, they smell and they look. I mean, sometimes that really happens. Not our job. You have to be impartial if you're in a position of power and you got to be open and honest with yourself about that position of power and never, ever, ever abuse it or use it in a negative way. That's what I'm thinking. What I want to talk about right now is <clears throat> it's a pretty serious issue. It's an issue where I deal with at uh, this time of year is very busy time for me, as uh, Tony Soprano once said during one of his shows, it's my busy season. Uh, because it's you know, a time of year where I deal with a lot of people who are in recovery, working on recovery, trying to stay clean and sober, trying to get their mental health in check. And then the holidays come along. And for a lot of people, you know, Pretty much, I would say everybody that I treat that has a substance abuse issue or uses substances as a means to self-medicate are all self-medicating around unstable mental health or some form of mental health illness that may be uh, discovered, undiscovered, untreated, uh, non-diagnosed, and so on. But for a lot of people, it's the time of year where they feel really, I don't know, drawn to circumstances and opportunities and situations where they're not quite sure, right? Not quite sure. And it, it's a thing that, um, you know, they, 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 it, it, you gotta, it, it's difficult to say no, right? So you're invited to somebody's uh, Christmas party. You know, it's an office party is one thing. We talked about that a little earlier. By the way, the thing I didn't share with about office parties is you don't want to go outside and smoke a joint with anybody at work, right? It's just not something you want to do, even if you're buddies. It's just not something you want to be caught doing. Or, you know, it's just not the appropriate time, I don't think, uh, necessarily. Um, and you just want to be careful what you do and who you do it with. Um, so back to the whole concept about you know, man managing your mental health and addiction issues, perhaps substance issues throughout the holidays. It's all about being able to know and set reasonable boundaries. So for example, I'll give you a good example. So every Christmas you go to grandma's for Christmas dinner and half of your cousins and most of your uncles drink and a bunch of them get pretty smashed and say pretty silly things and sometimes nasty things. But you feel obligated to go because your mom says you got to go and what are you going to do? And, and, and you don't want to because you know you put yourself at risk. And when you're not, you know, when you're not focused on yourself first, addiction and mental health issues don't get the attention that they deserve. So having a boundary around that situation might be something like, I can't make it to grandma's party. However, I'm going to go see grandma on Christmas Day, and we're going to have brunch together, lunch together, breakfast together. So the idea is to spend time with hol on, during the holidays with friends and family and people that you're close to in an environment or in a structure that works for you. And if it doesn't work for you, better that you upset somebody by not showing up than put yourself in a position where you may trigger something that causes you to make a choice you're not happy with or just puts you in a position where you come home and you feel horrible about yourself. 
And I'm a big believer, as you've heard before, and I'll keep talking about it. Don't put yourself in environments where you're not going to feel good about yourself. It doesn't make you feel good about you. Don't go there. Don't be a part of it. Know enough when to say no. Have your own Christmas party, your own holiday party, your own New Year's party. And perhaps you have one of those and it's a sober party. Like a lot of office parties are becoming now. They're, some of them are becoming sober parties for the same reasons. They want everybody to be able to come. And or you have conversations with your loved ones or your relatives ahead of time and say, listen, I'm not drinking. I'm not, you know, I, I, I'm not, don't want to be around a situation like that. Or I don't want to be around certain people because they trigger me and so on. Right. But I do want to see you. I do want to be a part of the holidays with you. So let's do this instead. Same with friends and family. Same, same with friends in the neighborhood or business acquaintances that invite you to their homes for holiday parties. You know, if they know you're not drinking, it's an easier situation. If they don't know you're not drinking, you walk in, come on, have a drink. I got this great scotch. You got to try it. Ew, this wine is amazing. You know, everybody has like the best of the best over the holidays that they've spent all this kind of crazy money on. and They want everybody to share it. Just got to be able to say no. Not for me. I'm not drinking tonight. If you don't want to get into the whole conversation. Or you go for the early part of the holiday party. And before people get really out of control, if it's called for 8 o'clock, be there at 8 o'clock. And by 8.45, you're out the door. Have a little something to nibble. Wish everybody a holiday season. You know, hand out your gifts if that's something you're doing in that environment or at that particular time. And get the hell out of there. You have other choices you can make. Recognizing that you need to make choices that work for you. Being able to navigate this, this season means making healthy choices. And if you're in recovery yourself, you know exactly what I mean. 877-399-9898. Please feel free to text me or call me. What's what we're talking about right now? We're talking about the discomfort around the holiday season and having to make sure that you're able to control the things that you can control sometimes in situations that trigger your, um, your, uh, your, your choices that aren't in your best interest, your bad choices, if you will. So I think what's really important is making sure that we recognize our limitations, right? Imagine that the, the relapse rates, by the way, during, during the holiday season, according to um, Addiction Rehab Toronto, are spiked by 150%. Approximately 21.6% of Canadians, about 6 million, met the criteria for substance use disorder during their lifetime, according to Stats Canada. And when people understand that substance abuse is more of a mental health issue, Perhaps they can foster more compassion and kindness during the holiday, but you got to be able to talk about it. So you're trying to be sober, and it's hard, and it's as tempting as anything every time you're around somebody that's not in your support circle. But how much worse would you feel if you give in to those negative voices, if you make the choice to fall into something <clears throat> that you know is not good for you? How do you feel about that? How would you feel about that? So before you find yourself in a situation where you go, uh-oh, just say no. Let your values guide your, your, you know, your, your instincts, your, your, your decisions, instead of your fears of being left out or hurting somebody's feelings. And consider how if you were to go to something like that, you're going to be on edge anyway, maybe not, maybe not at your best, right? And if you're having, you're going to a holiday party and you have, you're able to be a part of the, 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 the putting, you know, putting it together, being part of the, the, the organization of the party itself, de-emphasize the alcohol, you know, serve a limited amount of, have your, 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 your uh, host serve a limited amount of, of wine and beer and, and, and literally a limited amount. 
Because, by the way, you have to remember as well, the people whose parties you're going to also have a control issue. They also have to make sure people don't leave their homes and get hammered, right? These are the things that are most important. People struggling with addiction know that the impacts their love on their loved ones, and they might more appreciate your honesty and, your, and, and be more compassionate when you explain to them, I just don't think it's a good place for me to be. I don't think it's a good situation for me. I don't think this is going to work for me. But this is what I want to do instead. I want to be a part of the holiday season with everybody, but this is how. Have people to your house. Organize brunches. Organize early afternoon lunches. You know, you can do so much around a party when you get together and make waffles and eggs and bagels and coffee and different kinds of juices and smoothies. And it doesn't have to be a touch of alcohol there, and it can still be a whole lot of fun for a whole lot of people. And if the only way you can have a good time is by being smashed at a party, you shouldn't be going anyway. You should be talking to somebody about why alcohol is the only way you can let yourself go or drugs or anything else. You know, if you don't have that sip of courage, is that all you can rely on? Be able to get out of the house and go do what you have to do? I don't know. Imagine going to the store, right? And you buy what you think is um, 2% milk. You pay for 2% milk. And you actually find out that it's skim milk. It's not exactly what you thought you were buying. Not exactly what you thought you were getting. How would you feel about that? Well, have a listen to how that, how that affected some friends we know from TV. I exercise regularly. My only indulgence, I guess, would be that I eat a lot of frozen yogurt. But it's not fat. <laughs> yogurt? Oh, my God, they got Giuliani, and he doesn't even know it. Now, look what you've done. Well, we've got to do something. I'm calling Giuliani's headquarters. That Mayor Giuliani will do everything possible to cleanse the city of this falsified non-fat yogurt. So there you go. That's the time when, if it's a Seinfeld episode, if you're not not sure what it is, the time when um, when Kramer uh, got him and uh, Newman got uh, all hung up on uh, on this new non-fat yogurt until they realized they were gaining weight like crazy. wasn't labeled as what it really is, and that's what's happening here. Health Canada is now receiving all kinds of complaints from uh, from end users about and store owners uh, about the amount of THC the um, the the part of the can the part in uh, in uh, marijuana that gets you high it's the, uh, the the cannabinoid that gets you high the thc and uh, you know the higher the thc count the, the higher you're supposed to get and consequently you pay more for the products that have higher higher thc than those that have lower thc so what happens when you order something that says it has 20 percent thc and it actually has 12 how does that impact you you know, you have to smoke twice as much or eat twice as many gummies or whatever it is. More importantly, you're being ripped off, I think. Producers and laboratories say their overinflated THC levels undermine part of the point of legalization. So to create trust and confidence among customers, they can lead to negative health, health, health outcomes for users. My uh, guest this evening is an expert on uh, on marijuana. His name is David Ellison. He's a managing partner with Ellison Law. He's a lawyer. He's also a cannabis store operator and an advocate for um, safe use and proper use of uh, cannabis, marijuana, and such, and kind of my go-to person when I'm trying to 
help a particular patient uh, get uh, make the use of uh, cannabis in a uh, medical uh, support kind of way. Uh, David, thanks for being uh, here with me tonight. I uh, appreciate you staying up so late and uh, talking about this. You know, we're talking about the fact that, you know, you, you, you buy something that says something, but what you get inside isn't isn't what it's supposed to be. Um, what's going on? So, it, 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 I mean, I think you hit it right on the head earlier when you said that it, it undermines one of the points of of or of, of, of legalization, um, the policy purpose behind legalization of cannabis was, or at least one of the policy purposes, was to ensure safe access to cannabis. Uh, safe access means proper labeling, and what we're seeing is many many complaints that. The, the number on the label doesn't match the number inside the jar when, when the product is tested. So um, you smoke yourself, right? You're, you protect. I do. Right. So, um, and you run a store called Scarlet Fire here in Toronto. Uh, when you bring something new in and you look at it and it says, you know, 27% THC and 3% terpenes, and then you, you use it yourself and it's like, I don't know. That's just not working for me. At what point do you yourself start looking at it going, I'm not sure I'm smoking what I think I'm getting? Well, you know, it's interesting because we have customers coming in all the time and, and the consumer is very THC focused. So they look at the THC number on the label and they think that's the be all and end all uh, um, in terms of how good the, the product is or how potent the product the product is. Um, and, and I think myself and, and, and at least the staff at, at my store, Scarlet Fire, uh, you, you know, we, we will tell the customers, listen, don't worry about what's on the label, right? You know, trust, trust the opinions of, of the staff and trust the opinions of, of, of people who know and the experts. Um, but don't put too much uh, credence and too much weight into what's, what's written on the label because it's really not a great indicator of uh, the quality of the product or the potency of the product. So what does that mean? So in other words, if, if the THC count isn't what you can, so how does one know then if one form of marijuana is going to be stronger than the next? That, that's, a, that's, that's a great question. So uh, THC certainly is a factor in, in potency, uh, mm-hmm. but consider cannabis like a Christmas tree. Right. Okay. And, and the THC is like the electricity that you're pumping into the Christmas tree to light up all the light bulbs. If you have a Christmas tree that has three light bulbs, you're going to have a very boring looking Christmas tree. If you have a Christmas tree with 200 light bulbs, you're going to have a really beautiful and interesting looking Christmas tree. And so so when we look at THC, we consider THC like the electricity that powers up all of the other compounds. And and we, we often tell customers um, that there's something called the entourage effect, which is all of the compounds work together to create to create effects. So THC is certainly important, but it's not the sole determinant of what of, of the potency or the quality of the product that you're getting. 
Why, you know, David, I, I know when you opened your store and, and many other folks like you in the early days opening a store, it was a whole big production. You had to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars meeting the compliance needs of the government in terms of what you can see from the street and the lineups and checking with people. They can only buy so much and all, all these regulations for you at the operator level. But what's happening with the testing and the standardization at the growth and control level? Well, it, it, and we need better regulations on, on, on that end. Uh, uh, we need standardized testing and a standardized method of testing. So um, you, you, if you look at when you test cannabis, there could be a wide range uh, of variability in the plant, depending on if it's a top cola or a lower cola or if it's this plant or that plant. And so what really needs to happen is the sampling that's used for testing, there needs to be a method of choosing that sample. So what growers can do is they can go through their, uh, their crop and they can choose, well, you know, this is a top cola one, this is good, this is what I'm gonna send in for sampling. And it's not a true testing or a true sample of the entire lot that they've produced. And a lot of these uh, uh, growers and LPs have in-house testing facilities. So they can test different batches, figure out what's the highest amount or, or which are the best pieces to test and send that is in as, as their sample. And, and it's problematic because, uh, you know, there are a lot of weeds out there that are 32 or 32% plus THC. And I think a lot of uh, uh, people in the industry will tell you that it's very rare to get up to, to 32%. Yet um, the Globe Mail in an article in September uh, said that there were 135 SKUs on the OCS uh, uh, website or available at the OCS and, and for those uh, for those listeners, the OCS is the Ontario Cannabis Store. Uh, and so when we look at it, it, it you know, it can't, it really, I don't think it can be possible that there were 135 SKUs that were over 32% THC. I'm with my uh, my guest this evening, David Ellison. He's the managing partner uh, with Ellison Law. He's also a uh, owner of a cannabis store and a uh, knowledgeable guy of everything cannabis. Uh, David, thanks for being around um, and being here with me. Uh, the, the, the disparity, the, 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 you, you talked about the standardized testing before we went to break, um, and now they're looking at doing this. Uh, here's my question. My question is, and I'm sure you and I could knock this around for hours, but um, with the limited time we have, my question is, why now? Why, after legalization and after all of this, why now? Let, let's have a quick listen to what the chemist Martha Hernandez explains why THC, she believes THC inflation and what it's all about. Have a quick listen with me, Dave. Traditionally, it was very rare to find strains with more than 28% of THC. But now it's really common to walk into a dispensary and find several shelves full of products that exceed 30 or 40% of THC. Right. So you and I both know that that's not possible, but why now? So late in the game uh, after rec after recreational weed is allowed and, and years after uh, medical cannabis was around. I mean, that's when we people were really paying attention when they were using it uh, for medical purposes. And I know you do now when we're helping patients with it. But why? Why so late in the game, brother? So. 
I, I th- so I think the the the, the audio uh, that we just heard is exactly correct, right? And if we look at if we when I opened my store in March of of 2021, we had uh, cannabis that was you know just barely hitting over 20 percent, and now we have you know tons of stuff in the store that's plus 28 percent, and and even as high as 34 percent. Um, and and that is driven by the 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 fact that the the market is very poorly regulated, and it is the, the market is designed or the regulations are designed for private enterprise to fail. We know that eighty percent of industry participants in cannabis are not cash flow positive. We know. Okay, so what, what does almost, this have to do with the THC count, though, in particular? Well, it has to do with the THC count. Is everybody's everybody's trying to 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 get market share? Everybody's trying to stay alive, and consumer focus is THC percentage, right or wrong. That's a consumer. People come into the stores and they say, "I want the cannabis with the highest amount of THC." So what we're seeing is. Uh, a push to get those THC numbers up. And there are some labs out there that I believe are inflating numbers. Uh, there are the sampling of the product that goes for testing is being specifically cherry picked. So you get the highest numbers uh, and it's not fair to the consumer. It's, it's just not fair because the consumer isn't getting what the label is saying. And okay, complaints so, so, are, sorry, go ahead. So when they have a complaint, what do they do with it? Like, who's listening? How, how, like, so what do you can, do? You bring, it back, you bring it back to the help. store. You bring it back to the store and say, this stuff is supposed to have 24%, but I'm not, I'm not getting buzzed, so I want to return it. Like, so I, don't, do do? I don't think, it's not the consumer that's testing it. So what we're having is that your labs are testing the products that were tested in other labs. You have growers and LPs that are testing other companies' products and finding that what's in the jar is not what's on the label. And the variances are, are, are huge. They could be up to 20% in some cases, right? Um, and, and so how do we deal with it? Well, now the, now the OCS has said that starting in January, they are going to have a program where for, high, for, for products that are, have a, have a, are labeled with high THC, they're going to do their own independent testing. The real problem with giving this to the OCS, now I wouldn't trust the OCS to tie up their shoelaces. Um, and, and hang, the hang OCS, on, hang on. So, we, so we're a national show. So how is this different in Alberta, BC, Quebec, you know, uh, Manitoba? I'm not sure how other provinces are dealing with it. It should be dealt with on a national level. It's how a national Canada problem, sh- apparently. Sorry, so, pardon me? It's a national problem, I'm told. It, it is. It is a national problem, and it should be dealt nationally, and it should be regulated at the federal level and by Health Canada. I mean, at the moment, there are no variability limits on uh, on on dry cannabis. So you 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 know you could put uh, on, for example, edibles. 
or concentrates, there are variability limits where you can be within a certain variance. But there are no variant variability limits on dry cannabis. Uh, I think there there should be, and I think the very what, what, what does that mean to people that don't understand that? What is, what so that variability mean? limit with you, you know you can be plus or minus say five percent. So if you put right. on a put in your jar twenty five percent, you could be as low as twenty and as high as as high as thirty. Right? Uh, um, you know, for example, we talk about the OCS testing that I was just mentioning. They're saying. If you're, we'll, we'll allow the product to go at the door if we're in an acceptable range. But if you're not in an acceptable range, then we won't let the product at the door. Well, what is that acceptable range? Yeah. I don't know. The OCS hasn't told us what's, what's an acceptable range. Uh, uh, and, and now if you leave it up to the uh, provincial wholesalers to do, the, to do this kind of checking, you're going to have a... Uh, 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 it will be different all across the country in terms of how it's dealt with. So really what we need is standardized testing and a standardized method of testing and a standardized way of choosing the sample. David, here's the deal. The deal is I come into your store and I buy uh, XYZ strain, call it uh, banana strain, just make it up banana strain. And because banana strain is, you know, 28% uh, THC, it's $7 and something a gram, right? The lower mm-hmm. THC stuff is only three or four dollars a gram, so I'm that buying means- some. I'm buying something that I'm paying more for, but I'm not getting the options I paid for, or I'm not getting and, the strength and I paid not for. Fair to isn't consumers. that a ripoff? Yeah, isn't that it's just not a fair. A hundred percent. It is not fair to consumers. Where consumers need to know what is in the jar is reflective of what's on the label outside the jar, and if you allow this wild west. Uh, a way of labeling and not enforcing it and not having proper variability limits, it's the consumer that loses. Not only is it the consumer that loses, it's everybody who's playing by the rules lose. The people that are testing properly, the, the people that are taking real random samples, the people that aren't inflating the THC. So, so I, I, without proper regulation, without a proper enforcement of the regulation, you're penalizing the players yeah. in the industry that are playing by the rules. David, it's always a pleasure to have you. I really appreciate it. David Ellison, he's the managing partner with Ellison Law. He's also the uh, owner-operator of uh, Scarlet Fire um, Cannabis Store here in Toronto. Always a pleasure. You're, it's a wealth Thank of knowledge. You so much, I don't know, I don't know where this is going, my friend, but um, I think that you're the kind of guy that needs to organize a whole bunch of consumers to march to, uh, to uh, Ottawa and say, you know, we're getting ripped off here and we need we need to make something happen because it, if it was happening with a food item or something else, they'd be all over it because it's weed. Like you say, it's the wild west out there. And no one's uh, really uh, paying that much attention. So thanks, David. I really appreciate you being here. Take, take care, Yona. Have a great night.